Thank you for listening to this message from Southridge Community Church, located in Clinton, New Jersey. We hope God speaks to you through this message today and that you find new ways to apply His Word to your life. Additional messages and more information can be found on southridgecc.org. So let's get started. For anyone who doesn't know me, my name is John Ciotta. I'm the pastor of family ministry here at Southridge Community Church. And uh, I have to say, I am privileged and honored not only to share God's word with you, but also, you know, uh, being the pastor of family ministry gives me an opportunity to be a part of families' lives and to work with volunteers. And, you know, Nathan highlighted it, and I, I want to highlight it a little bit more. Next next Sunday, we're actually going to have a, a volunteer celebration here where we have some Ritas. And I, I just need you guys to know, for any of you who do serve, how grateful we are. And for any of you who, who may not be aware, like, it is, it is so important to what our church does. Our volunteers and our body that steps up and imparts wisdom and grace and teaching and discipleship, it is like critical. It is critical to everything that we do. We would not be able to do what we do without our volunteers. So we take a Sunday. We love to celebrate that. I would encourage you to, if you're someone that's like, hey, I've always been wondering what that's all about. Like there's some really fantastic ways to get involved. And I'm sure Nathan will talk a little bit more about that maybe even next week. But Anyway, Nathan mentioned it. We are actually closing out our message series on questions. And so for the past couple of weeks, we've been going through questions leading up and through Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And this week, we're going to talk about a question that comes up after Christ is raised from the dead. And the question we're going to wrestle with this morning is, haven't you any fish? Haven't you any fish? And so we're actually going to be in John chapter 21. So if you want to grab those Bibles, we're opening up to John chapter 21. We're actually going to be reading this whole chapter this morning but it's still helpful. Um, We're going to be focusing in on verses 1 through 14. And at this time, I'm actually going to invite Ella up. Ella's going to be doing our scripture reading for this morning. And I have to tell you, this is probably like one of the highlights for me. I love that our church is multi-generational and that it has so many different ages and stages engaged and involved. And that Ella could be with us this morning to share. You know, I, I know many of us experience this service, but there is a whole lot of stuff going on downstairs and in the student center and so many other areas. So Ella's going to lead us through verses 1 through 14. So go ahead. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish. Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. 
This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let's bow our heads and let's start off with a word of prayer. Father, we are so grateful and privileged to have access to your word where we can study, learn, and grow through your teachings. Father, I just want to lift up humbly our hearts, our souls, and our minds. Um, God, I'll start with myself and just asking that as, as I share your word today, that it would not be me, but you working through me, that all glory and honor would be given to you, that it would be about you, and that it would be about your kingdom Father, I also want to just lift up um, each and every person who's with us here in person or online, Father, that as you work in ways that we can't understand or imagine, that you would be convicting and challenging and processing and, and, and working in ways that we don't fully comprehend. We love you, Lord, and we give you this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It's so important that when we get to a passage, we look at the context. I, I feel like I preach this all the time, but it, it would be so inappropriate for us to just take a chapter of scripture and just be like, okay, well, we'll just, we need to understand what's going on in the storyline. And one of the cool things about this passage is we have been studying the previous chapters. Uh, we've been studying it as we go through this message series called Questions. So two chapters earlier, Christ was taken, he was, he was crucified, and he was buried. And one chapter earlier, Christ has been raised from the dead. Now, one thing that I love to do when I'm preparing for a message is actually read a couple of chapters beforehand leading up and through. And I'm not going to do that this morning, but one thing stuck out to me when I was doing some reading this past week, and it was actually verses 30 and 31 of chapter 20. So I'm going to read them for us, and it'll kind of bring us into some of our message for today. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. I don't know about you, but when I read that, it feels like the conclusion. That feels like where the book should stop. Actually, my Bible says the purpose of John's gospel. It feels like it would be totally appropriate for John to be like, all right, it ends at chapter 20, and there is no chapter 21. Which makes us ask the question, and questions are so good to be asking about God's word because it reveals more. What is the purpose of chapter 21? And uh, I'm not really great at uh, literature, but uh, we actually know that chapter 21 is an epilogue. And an epilogue is, I'm going to read the actual definition, otherwise I'll mess it up. Uh, a section or speech at the end of a book or play that serves as a comment on or a conclusion to what has happened. See, listen, we take the context of scripture and we're so blessed and we take this for granted all the time. We have the whole Bible. We have the whole Bible with all the gospels and all the letters and all the context of the Old Testament, and everything else. The book of John, if you were just reading the book of John, you would be left with some questions going like, okay, it, we, we're kind of leaving on a cliffhanger. And I want to highlight some of those questions because I believe we actually answer them in chapter 21. The question's like, will Jesus provide for his disciples? What happens to Peter? Remember, let's keep it in the context for a second. Like, what happens to Peter? Two, three chapters earlier, Peter denied Christ, right? He denied Christ three times. And then after that, it says Peter was there with John at the tomb. And it says very clear, clearly, the scripture says, and John believed it was Jesus. So we look at this and we know Peter in this moment, when we read chapter 21, he hasn't like reconciled with Christ yet. 
He's not back to like really believing Christ is there. And that's going to come into this story quite a bit. I think another reasonable question that would have been asked by the readers of this book would be, what is the future of the disciples without their rabbi? What's going to happen next? If you end in chapter 20, you're left with like, okay, like what's going to happen? Another question we could ask is what's going to happen to the author? What happens to John? I think all these questions just highlight the significance of this chapter that we're about to read. And we're going to get some answers out of that, which is just such a blessing. So let's not delay it any longer. Let's jump right in. We're going to be reading a couple of verses at a time and then kind of breaking it down in a little bit more depth. So John 21, afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Canaan, Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. All right, we're going to stop here for a second. When we first start reading this passage, I think there's, again, there's things that I tend to gloss over all the time. And one of those is geography, right? What's the significance of Galilee? Why are they in Galilee? Like, what is it about Galilee? And we'll get a little bit more into this, but it's important. And this is, again, another area that we're really blessed with. We know that they're in Galilee because they're actually told to go to Galilee. In Matthew 28, verse 16, it says, Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. So we know that the disciples are in Galilee because Jesus commanded them. And and while they're there, Peter says, hey, listen, I'm going fishing. Now, Peter is not doing this because he's like, I got to pass the time and I like fishing. So let me just go on out there and cast my net or cast, yeah, whatever. Like that is not what's going on here. Peter's actually returning to his profession, to what he's used to doing. Peter was called as a fisherman. Peter is most equipped to be a fisherman. And that's what we see highlighted in this portion of the passage. See, Peter's rabbi is gone. He doesn't know where Jesus is. And so what does Peter go back to? He goes back to what he feels most comfortable with. He goes back to what he feels equipped with. Let me give a little bit more context because I think most of us would look at this and be like, well, okay, Peter just spent like, what, three years more with Christ? Don't you think he'd be pretty equipped If we had three years of intentional education, don't you think that that would mean like, hey, we're ready to go, right? But instead, we see Peter's like not not maybe in in his mind ready to be that next step. And there's something important for us to understand of the education of that day. Today, we have the assumption that everyone goes to school and everybody does school, right? Like if you ran into a middle schooler in the middle of the day at like one o'clock, you'd be like, is it spring break or what's going on? Like, why aren't you in school? Because everybody goes to school and everybody has the expectation in our culture to go through and to graduate at some level, middle school, high school, maybe even college, whatever that looks like. It looks like education is a priority. Now, in this cultural context, the school that they would have attended is rabbinical school. That's the idea of becoming a rabbi, being someone who's an expert of the text, someone to teach and instruct. But not everybody made it through the process. The truth is only the select few that were really, really, really good could make it through the process. And so I'm going to go through this process, and I'm going to see how many of you would make it to rabbinical school, okay? Make it through all the way, all right? All right, let's show the slide real quickly. This is just kind of a breakdown. 
of what was what the different stages of rabbinical school was. So from five to nine years old, called Bet Sefer, they would memorize the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. Is anybody getting past that point? Does anyone have the first five books of the Bible memorized? No. I am 28 years old. I am a pastor. I have an education in ministry. I do not have Genesis chapter one memorized. These, these, young, these young children had memorized the first five books of the Bible and they had other basic education that took place. This was Bet Sefer. Then we have Bet Midrash. And this was ages 10 to 13. Now it's important to realize that only about 1% to 10% made it to this point. This is a small class. And in Bet Midrash, they would memorize the rest of the Tanakh, which is the rest of the Old Testament, just so everybody's on the same page. It's kind of a couple of books, right? We didn't even get past the Torah. They're already memorizing the Tanakh. By 13 years old, then they would get into Bet Talmud, which is the idea that after 13 years old, they would basically have an intensive internship where they basically followed around a rabbi. And the purpose for following around the rabbi was to know what the rabbi knows in order to do what the rabbi does for the reasons that the rabbi does them, in order to be just like the rabbi in his walk with God. Let me challenge us with this. Listen, Peter, in the context of this, Let's just say Peter didn't get past Bet Sefer, okay? So he didn't get past that next level. What would happen is he would actually be sent back home to learn the trade of his family to provide, which was for Peter's family being a fisherman. So from a very, very young age, Peter has been raised to be what? A fisherman. And so in this context, in this moment, his rabbi is gone, which just in the context of this, like how powerful is it? you know, that, that Jesus comes along and asks a fisherman to follow him and to be theirs, right? Like Peter probably didn't get past, let's just say, Bet Sefer. And then all of a sudden, when he's a little bit older, Jesus comes along and says, hey, listen, follow me. And so Peter drops everything and follows Jesus. But after some time, Jesus is no longer there. And, and Peter has this decision to make, like, what do I do now? What goes on now? And, and Peter goes back to what he feels most equipped to do, fishing, rather than going back to maybe the training, because he didn't have all this training. He didn't feel adequate or worthy to continue the rabbinical work. So point being, Peter here, when he says, I'm going to fish, he's going back to what he knows to do. He's going back to what he feels most equipped to do. We continue reading in verse 4. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. So the disciples don't recognize Jesus. Now, a hundred yards, it's a pretty good distance, right? hundred yards, they don't recognize, maybe they don't have the best eyesight. Who knows why? They don't recognize it's Jesus. And Jesus asks them a question, haven't you any fish? Now, we know 
we know Jesus asks questions to reveal stuff to us. It's not because he doesn't know the answer. Jesus isn't like, I wonder if they had any luck last night catching fish. No, he knows the answer. He already knows what the answer is going to be. So he says, listen, like, have you guys caught any fish? And, and they're like, no, we haven't. And so Jesus says, hey, throw your nets on the right side of the boat. Now, I don't know about you guys, but this is always like, we take things out of, we just don't put them in. The boat is not that big, okay? So it's not like fish weren't swimming here and then all of a sudden there's a ton of fish swimming over here, right? Like, oh man, nobody goes underneath the boat. Like, that's not allowed. Like, no, this is a miracle. Jesus is like, hey, listen, we're gonna fill those nets. And he fills those nets, And as soon as they fill the nets, they gather them, and it says it was so heavy they could barely haul it in. This miracle reveals who Christ is, right? The one whom whom he loved, John, who's writing this book, is like, hey, that's, that's, that's the Lord. And immediately, it snaps in Peter's head. And what does Peter do? Man, we gotta love Peter. Peter jumps right in, right? He jumps right in. First off, we have to ask a question. Right? I don't know how you guys go swimming, but when I go swimming, I don't usually put clothing on to go into the water. So why does Peter put his garment on to jump in? And, and I think, guys, questions about Scripture are so healthy. It helps us learn more about God's Word and helps us paint a clearer picture. What they mean here and what they're writing about is when you were fishing, you didn't tend to have maybe the most amount of clothing on because when you were fishing, you didn't want to get fish stuff all over you. You didn't wash your clothes in washer machines and dryers like we do. And so it was the idea of protecting your clothing. And so they would usually be fairly undressed, okay, fishing. And so in this moment, he's going, listen, I'm going to go see Jesus. I'm going to grab my stuff. And he basically grabs it, throws it on, ties it on, and jumps in the water. Okay? That's a little bit of context for us. And he jumps in the water, and we know he's, he's about 100 yards away. 100 yards away. Like, 100 yards, first off, is a pretty far swim. Okay? At least for, for some of us it is. That's a pretty good distance for him to swim all the way to Jesus. But it's kind of like, it's not like the boat's not going there. Peter's basically like, listen, I got to get to Jesus, and I got to get to him right now. So I'm not even going to wait for you guys. I'm going. It's like, hey, if it takes you five minutes to row this boat in, I'm going to get there in four minutes and 30 seconds. I don't know if you guys have ever been in a situation like this. So the, the best illustration I could think of, um, I don't do the best when my wife is not at home. Like I love having my wife at home. When she goes along for like a week or whatever else, visiting family, whatever else, like that is, that is not a thriving point for me. I like having her in the house. It's comfortable for me. And so Anyway, like she was gone a couple years ago for for two weeks, a little over two weeks. And while she was gone, like you may even remember, I was a mess. I just missed my wife. I missed having her at home. And so the day comes where her flight's landing. I'm at the airport. I'm all excited. And I see her come off. And like, I don't know what happened. I I just ran to her. I was like, I can't wait to see you. And it's like, I looked ridiculous. Okay. That's just the truth. I looked ridiculous. She's maybe the distance from me to these doors. And I'm like, I know it would take me 10 seconds to walk to you, but if I can get there in eight seconds, like, oh yes. Like that's how I imagine Peter is in this moment, right? He's just like, I got to be with Christ. I got to be with him right now. So I'm not worrying about the boat. I'm going, see ya. Kaplash. I don't know what, that is not the noise that the water makes when you jump in. Whatever, whatever the noise is. Anyway, We'll, we'll edit in the sound effects later. Um, oh, boy. Uh, so Peter, he jumps in, and he's trying to get to Christ as quickly as possible, right? And as soon as he gets there, 
he's confronted by something. And, and, and this is something so important for us. When we read scripture, we, we read it as a book and we tend to take out all the senses that are involved in the story. Peter gets there and it clearly says that they land and they saw the burning coals and fish and bread. Just put yourself in Peter's shoes for a second. You just swam a hundred yards. You get there. And the first thing that you're confronted by is a fire. And the last time you stood around a fire, you were asked the question, you're not one of his disciples, are you? Like Jesus, he is literally completely confronted with the idea of like, hey, like you denied me three times. As he stands there with the heat from the fire and the embers and the coals and the, and the smell of the charcoal, as he's standing there, he's placed in this position to go, oh my gosh, like, I have, I have messed up. Like, Jesus, you, you are real. You did, you did come back. You are here. You know, I think this has been mentioned a couple times, but I think there is significance when we, when we remember the different elements of the story. I know there's a, a show called The Chosen that many of us have watched in the past that just, one of the things I love about that show is it just breaks the concepts of my limited perspective, where it just breaks it and makes it actual people in an actual situation with actual emotions. Imagine what Peter's going through. He, he, his rabbi, the one he has followed for the past three years, he denied him. He is standing in front of him. And he's like, oh, I denied you. And I'm, I'm coming to terms with that. Peter stands in the presence. The miracle opens Peter's eyes and confronts him with the fact that he denied Christ. We continue to read in verse 10. Jesus said, it, said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So the disciples, they land on shore, they see the fire, they see Jesus's fish and bread. And Jesus basically says like, hey, bring your fish, bring your fish that you caught. And, and the, the text specifically references 153. Now, something that's really powerful about God's word is that numbers mean things. They're not just arbitrary, like, oh, okay, whatever. Like, I know Nathan has talked about this multiple times about the number three, Number seven, the significance behind some of those numbers. And so 157 sticks out. And the truth is there's not a lot of biblical context. And I have searched commentaries and books and everything else to try to understand, like, what is this 153 about? And there is a lot of speculation. There's a lot of different thoughts behind what this number could mean. And there's probably one that I appreciate and respect the most, but I think there's two potential, like, real legitimate answers here. The first one is actually found in the Midrash. And the Midrash is a Hebrew commentary used specifically by the Jews to translate and highlight different Hebrew texts, okay? And the 153 through the Midrash is actually mentioned a couple different times throughout Scripture, and it is usually in reference to all of the pagan nations. So the idea of 153 would mean all pagan nations, okay? And that's going to come up a little bit more as we continue to read. 
The other explanation that a lot of commentaries highlight is that possibly John is highlighting 153 for historical evidences, right? There's no better way than to tell someone, hey, I was there, than say, there was 153 fish there. Like, I know the details of the story, right? If somebody's telling you, hey, this is what I did today, and they start describing all these random details, you're like, okay, that probably did happen to you because you're, you're, you're in a lot of details here. You know, this is a lot of information that you probably wouldn't know if you weren't there. And so we highlight these two answers. I, I would just say this, wrestle, wrestle with them. Don't take my word for it. Go, go, go do research yourself. I really encourage you to do that. Listen, I would encourage you to do that for all of scripture, regardless of what Nathan, me, Jeremy, or anyone else says on this stage. Take what we say and study it. Okay, study this text, study the 153. But regardless, so Jesus invites them. He basically says, hey, bring your fish. And then he invites them to breakfast. Now, again, context. Jesus just was raised from the dead, okay? I can tell you right now, if I was Jesus, that's not how I would respond after I came. I would show up on Pilate's door and be like, hey, remember me? Like, I'm here, how you doing? Yeah, I told you I was king of the Jews. I am king of the Jews. Like, that's what I would do. But what does Jesus do? He says, hey, come have breakfast with me. Come have breakfast with me. Which seems like such a, a, a small thing to do coming off of, you know, raising yourself from the dead. You, you, you expect fireworks. You expect fireworks. You expect like, oh man, now it's coming. Jesus is about to overthrow all of Rome. Just watch. Instead, what does he do? He says, hey, hey come have breakfast with me. The truth is like, I think this, there's so much significance to the fact of how Jesus responds here. Sometimes we, uh, we look for Jesus in the grandiose and we miss him in the small things. You know, I think there's times where, you know, we're, we're called to be in God's presence to do the small things and we're just so busy waiting for God to launch these fireworks off that we forget about those who are in our neighborhood, our neighbors, the person we ran into at the grocery store or whatever else. Jesus invites them to have breakfast. I, I love this story. There once was a pastor who was doing this interview and someone asked him, listen, if you only had three days to live, what would you do to share the gospel? Like, what would you do tomorrow? Pastor thought about it, looks back at him and says, you know what I would do tomorrow? I would wake up, I would make my coffee, I would do my study, and I would go to work because that's what God's called me to do. He didn't, he didn't ever put the burden on my shoulders to save the whole world. God called me to be a light in my area. God called me to his mission, called me to be a part of this. So he doesn't need me to go out and do everything to everyone and fix the world because the truth is, it's, like he's, he's called me here right now and that's what I'm gonna be obedient to. Christ invites them to breakfast. And right after, right during that portion, right? Right in verse... Um, 13, Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. Guys, when we read that sentence, alarms should be going off in our head. Can you think of another passage where those words are stated? Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. I can think of two references that come to mind and I do not believe that these are unintentional like, oh wow, look how that worked out. I believe that every word in scripture is intentional. And so it brings us back to John chapter 6, verses 10 through 14, where 
Jesus feeds the 5,000. How powerful is that, that Jesus is sitting down with his disciples and he's, and he's referencing a passage, referencing a miracle that took place not too long ago. And I want to just kind of take a second again. I think context is so important. The disciples are in Galilee. Does anyone happen to have a guess where the feeding of the 5,000 happened? Galilee. So the disciples are sitting there in the very spots that they, or the the same general area that they were prior as Jesus fed the 5,000. And they're sitting there again. And now instead of providing for everyone else, he's providing for the disciples. And he doesn't just provide, he provides in abundance. Something that we can highlight out of that message of the feeding of the 5,000 is Jesus talks through the feeding of the 5,000 and then talks about how Jesus is the bread of life in verses 25 through 59. But there's a specific phrase that's mentioned in that context that I think is really important in verse 44. It says, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them and I will raise them up at the last day. No one can come to me unless the father draws them. The idea and the word here for draws is helco. I'm probably butchering that pronunciation, but that's my best that I can do. Helco. Helco shows up another time in a different passage. John 21. The same verses that we just read. In verse um, 6, it says, Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to helco the net in because of the large number of fish. Then again, it appears in verse 11. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and Helco, the net ashore. It was full of large fish. What is, what is Jesus getting at? Why is he using this word again and again and again? And why is he referencing other passages? Listen, the scriptures are not unintentional. The scriptures are not just this mishmash, posh, whatever that connects together and like, oh, wow, look at this. What a surprise. God's word is intentionally woven together to express a message. And the message that is being shared here is that the disciples are invited into the mission of Christ. Listen, the disciples tried to do it on their own, right? They sent the net over and they fished all night long and they caught nothing. And then Jesus shows up and says, hey, listen, Helco, this is only through me that I draw in. And so what does he do? He invites them to be a part of the mission by throwing the net on the other side. And what happens? He collects 153 Large fish. Christ is inviting the disciples to be a part of the mission of God. Hey, listen, I I passed. I was raised from the dead. And I know you were expecting fireworks. I know you're expecting me to overthrow Rome. But I'm inviting you to continue the work with my power and with my spirit and with my presence, you're going to continue the work. And we see that continue throughout scripture, right? The great commission in Matthew 28, then Acts 2, where the church is born. Christ is inviting the disciples to be a part of his mission. This has such significant implications for our lives. Listen, the truth is, when we view this message and we, and we sit down and we process and we think, we, we read a story about a disciple who felt inadequate 
And so he returned to what he felt equipped to do. He returned to to fishing. And Christ shows up and says, hey, listen, I, I know you're inadequate. I know you're not enough, but I'm inviting you to be a part of something greater and grander in and through me. Let's highlight that for a second. Listen, first off, I think so many of us in this room feel inadequate. Maybe feel like we're equipped to do this, but not this. And man, I've got to challenge that for a second. I can't tell you the number of times I've had conversations with people that have said things like, yeah, you know what, I'm, I'm too old to work with students and kids, or I don't know, I'm not really good at you know, this, or I don't have a Bible degree, so I can't lead a group, or I know that God might think that it's a good idea for me to go do this, but I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm good enough, or I don't think I'm ready, or I don't think I'm whatever. And I have to just say, that has never been the message that God tells He never said, hey, you have to be perfect or you have to be really, really good before you can start serving me. A matter of fact, when we look at scripture and we see countless illustrations, we see those who are weak be used for great and powerful things. God does not ask us to be perfect or well-trained or the, the strongest or the most powerful or the best talkers. We see countless stories. David was a shepherd boy who became the king of a nation. Moses became the mouthpiece of God, even though he stunk at talking. We have countless illustrations. Ehud, the left-handed man, shamed by all of his nation, is used to take down the king. Story after story after story after God uses our weaknesses to glorify his name. Guys, God asks us to be willing and humble. That's what he asks of us. Not to be perfect, not to be amazing, not to be the best, He asks us to be willing and humble. Willing and humble. Are we willing to step in? And are we humbly recognizing that it is not us, but Christ doing the work in us, through us? Peter didn't feel adequate, but Christ still called him to his mission. Christ invites the disciples to be a part of his mission. But here's this crazy thought that I'm going to break some people's worlds. Christ doesn't need us to do his mission. He really doesn't. You know, I once heard this, uh, this message by David Platt, and for any of you who know David Platt, he's a famous pastor and um, a well-known pastor and author, and David Platt talks about his, he was going through and sharing uh, God's truth with these indigen, indigen, oh man, whew, indigenous tribes, okay? He was going through and he was sharing God's word with them. And as he was going through, he had this thought where he was talking to God and he goes, God, you know what? It's really pretty special that you've got me. Like, I mean, you know, who else is out here doing this? And immediately God confronts him and goes, no, 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 wait a second. Yeah, I don't need you. I don't need you. I could do this with someone else. I'm allowing you to be a part of this. I'm inviting you to be a part of the mission. Guys, listen, John Ciara, God doesn't need him. Tomorrow, tomorrow I could be gone and God could raise up someone else to be in this place, probably doing a better job in so many other ways. And that goes for all of us. We, we do, God does not need us. He does not go, oh man, I was banking on that person, but because they said no, now I don't know what I'm going to do. Like God knows and he invites us to be a part of the mission. He invites us to have a peace and, and a role in his grand mission. And we are privileged and honored to be a part of that. 
We have the blessing to participate in God's overall mission. But at the end of the day, if we say no, and we say, no, God, you know what? I'm not doing that, whatever else. He could do it without us. We do not thwart God's plans. We are invited to be a part of them. My challenge for each and every one of us as we wrestle through this text is really this, is is to challenge ideals of inadequacy. Before you say, no, I can't, ask yourself, can God do that? Because the truth is, like, it's not about what you can do. It's about what God can do through you. Are you willing and are you humble to be used? And then to challenge you on the idea that you're invited into God's mission And I think a reasonable question for us to ask is, what is God's mission? And so we finish reading out chapter 21. So if you wouldn't mind, we're going to start in verse 15. I'm going to read the remaining 10 verses. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to, said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hand and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, Who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. The question that Jesus consistently asks is, do you love me? Do you love me? And if so, feed, care, love my sheep. Love my people. What's the mission that we're invited into? It's the top two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And love the neighbor as thyself. Listen, we're, we're invited into the mission of God to be a part of it. And that looks like loving God and loving others. And I don't know what that loving others looks like in your life. I really don't. 
I would challenge you, though, there is need in areas at every corner. Your neighbors, your friends, Hunterdon County, New Jersey, this church, the church, beyond the walls of New Jersey, there is need to be a part of the mission in huge and grand ways and also in the small having breakfast with Jesus. We are invited to be a part of Christ's mission. We may not be equipped. We may not feel adequate. We may not feel like we are perfect for the job, but that's actually a good thing because Christ never asked us to be. He asked us to be willing and he asked us to be humble and to step forward by loving him and loving others. I'm going to invite Sam up. He's going to um, play some background music. We're actually going to take a couple minutes. I think sometimes we, we leave service and it's immediately on to the next thing, right? I know that's what it is for me. Start getting ready for student ministry or this or that. or I just want to just, for a second, we're going to provide some space in service to just think, pray, process. How is God challenging you? What is he inviting you to be a part of? Are you willing? Are you humble? Are you loving God and so loving others? We're going to take some time to reflect, and then Sam's going to lead us through In Christ Alone, the song where we recognize that only by the indwelling of Christ are we able to do any of this. It is not by John Seattle's power or your power or anyone else's, but by Christ's work in us. It is Christ who helps those to God, not us. So let's bow our heads in a time of reflection. free to stand or sit, whatever you're comfortable with. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my life, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. Striving cease my call. 
head on over to them after service. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Father, we love you. We love you, Lord, and we ask that you would work in our lives to love others well, that we would feed your sheep, that as you extend this invitation for us to be a part of your mission, Lord, that we would be willing, that we would be humble, that we would step forward in faith knowing that it is not us, but you who do and does the work in and through us, Father. We love you, Lord, and we give you this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a blessed and wonderful day, everyone. Thank you for being here.